Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm Chris, one of the pastors here. I have a few announcements to tell you before we get started. If you're watching online, we're glad you're with us. If you're here in person, we're glad you're here too. Um, four things for us. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 10. Um, so the past few weeks, Luke, who is the author of Acts, um, has been setting up these two chapters. There's been a tremendous amount of buildup. Um, you might could argue that the whole book actually has been building up to this chapter, what's about to happen in these next two chapters. Um, first, we had Saul's conversion, okay, who would become the key missionary figure okay, to the Gentiles. And then the last chapter, we had why Peter was in Joppa. All of that is set up for what's going to happen now, okay? And for us, what may seem like two normal chapters that we would just as easily skipped over, for them, followers of what was called the way at that time, these two chapters represent a cosmic shift, historically, religiously, massive shift and how they thought of God, what God did, what God was about. This is unprecedented in Jewish history, even seemingly in opposition, right, to their entire religious worldview at the time. What's about to happen in the book of Acts is going to shake the foundations of what they thought it meant to be a Jew, okay? It's massive. It's clearly shocking to those present. So we're going to read a big chunk of chapter, all of 10, and then I'm going to read snippets of 11 so that we can get our minds around what all uh, is going on, okay? But the important thing to point out is that 11 is only there because everyone with Peter found 10 so unbelievable, so 11 is only, it's just Peter retelling what happened in 10 because they were like, that didn't happen, Peter. You're making this up. Okay, so I'm just going to give snippets of that just to capture that kind of reaction they were having. Um, and then we'll get on with it. But first, uh, typically we pray um, after the scripture. Today I want to pray before. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I just ask that you would, Holy Spirit, come and rest on our hearts, Lord. In a season where, um, for many of us, the darkness seems to be pushing back on the light. Father, I pray for those in this room and those watching who are um, in despair right now. God, I pray for those listening to the sound of my voice um, for whom coming here or logging on felt laborious. Lord, I pray for those who feel like they are barely walking forward right now. Jesus, would you minister to our hearts today, God? God, would you strengthen weakened knees, Lord, and make us bold in your love? Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 10, here we go. Enjoy the story. It's narrative, okay? So if you want to, close your eyes and listen. How long has it been since someone read you a story? All right, ready? Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was well known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people. 
and prayed continually to God. So he is a God-fearing man, a man who prays to the God of the Jews and yet is not a Jew. He is not circumcised. He does not follow the Jewish rituals, and yet he is a man that prays to God. It's interesting, isn't it? About the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m., he, Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? This is the third time in the book of Acts that angels have hopped on the scene. Two of the three times in the book of Acts, these, up until this point, the angels are leading people uh, to go towards who would be considered outsiders of the Jewish faith. Two of the times in the book of Acts so far, when angels have engaged, it has been to lead people to, be out, to the fringes, to those who consider themselves outside. First, to fill up with the Ethiopian, and now here. And so this is the second time, or the third time, angels have hopped on the, the, the scene in, in Acts. And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. The word there is like sweet incense. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. A little confusing there. Simon's with Simon. By the house by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, perhaps a devout soldier, someone who shares his faith, right? Um, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa, okay? The next day, as they were there on journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending down, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Picnic table, basically. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice that said to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice, now we see, notice, it does not say the Lord, it just says the voice, a voice, um, came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. Then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So interesting enough, Peter is hungry, and God uses his hunger pains in this type of vision. It's very interesting, isn't it? 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, Tanner, the Tanner, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, Peter, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So when these guys show up in that moment, the spirit talks to Peter somehow and, and tells him, go without hesitation. Peter went down to the mid and said, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. Uh, So not only is this guy a Roman Gentile, he is apparently a well-to-do, well-known Roman Gentile to be known by the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. Peter invited him to be their guest at the Tanner's house. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. The next chapter, Peter's going to point out, it was six dudes that came with me. That will be important. 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. This happens often in uh, Acts. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. Cornelius had gathered his whole crew together. And he said to them, you yourselves know, Peter said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house, and at the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been answered, your alms remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with the tanner, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, in Anyone who fe- every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So the vision in that moment clicks for Peter. He understands what it was about. And he's the only one up until this point that understands. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, 37. You yourselves know, Peter's talking, he's preaching now. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, shares the gospel with him. Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead to him All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter calls to his own imagination and his hearers that all the prophets had said, had talked about this, that anyone who believes, okay? 44, while Peter was still saying these things mid-sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And the believers from among the circumcised, the circumcised there, we need to insert just the Jews, okay? Those are the guys that are circumcised. Who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. That's the word there. Even on the Gentiles. 
for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So we mentioned this last week. The word they're amazed, ekthestastama, <laughs> means to throw out of position, all right? To astonish, to throw into wonderment, astounded. It is, that is the word used in the New Testament when they say someone has gone crazy. <laughs> to, literally, they lost their mind because they were so amazed that this is happening. In this instance, it's almost a complete repeat of Pentecost. You see, God saw fit to manifest himself through the very visible means of the Gentiles speaking in tongues, perhaps the very proof the Jews needed that this is actually what was happening, okay? Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. So now I'm going to read you some snippets of 11. Now, the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jews, okay, criticized him, the word is opposed, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Tells him the whole story, okay? And when he tells the story, and we're not gonna read the whole thing, but he emphasizes over and over that it was the Holy Spirit leading. You can see, you read, if you read the 11, you're gonna see that. In 12, he says, and the spirit told me to go with him, making, the spirit told me, he wants to make it clear, I'm not doing this, y'all. Uh, the spirit told me, go with him, making no distinction. These six brothers, he points out these guys, those guys right there, they were with me. 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on him just as it was at, on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I would stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So while there is this moment of joyful acceptance, look at me, the rest of the New Testament would largely revolve around the cultural and ethnic conflict of Jews mixing with Gentiles. The rest of the New Testament will revolve around the conflict of Jews mixing with Gentiles. This is not gonna go away. So there's this moment of, woo, awesome, he's did that, crazy. And then the habits and the mindsets that they had been brought up in, are, they just can't shake them loose. And the rest of the New Testament is going to be dealing with this issue. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm telling you, okay, I'm telling you. All right, here we go. I can't even see you. I don't even know if you're looking at me like I'm crazy. So interesting though. I mean, it's true and I'm gonna prove it. I'm gonna prove it, all right? Just buckle up, all right? It's so, so interesting to me that so often the Bible or Christians are accused of whitewashing the world, right? Or ignoring real problems or answering real problems with cliche, impotent answers. And yet so much of the New Testament is dealing with real ethnic and cultural conflict that happened inside the church itself. Read the book, y'all. Side point, 
If church feels like the place where you have to be perfect and can't have any real problems, what we see in the Bible is that in the community of faith, it's not, it's not where you come to prove you don't have any problems like we think of church, right? Oh, you go to church, you must be perfect. No, but rather the very place where real conflict and real differing opinions is, differing of opinions is to be worked out alongside one another with the help of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be understated the level of shock and bewilderment that, felt, that the Jews felt that the doors of their faith was being opened to a different race, a different nation, a different ethnicity, okay? It was unprecedented in their heritage. It was outside their framework of the normal activity of God. And if you know your Bible, you know that that's not actually true. It wasn't actually unprecedented because you know that Jonah was sent where? Nineveh. They weren't Jews. You know that spots throughout the Old Testament, you see God's heart for all men, all people, all tribes, all nations. And yet it did not work itself into the mindset of the religious thinking of the Jews. So it was unprecedented, at least in their worldview for most of them. And it was clearly difficult, surely a stumbling block to many law-abiding, Torah-honoring Jews. And it would not be a stretch of the imagination at all to know, to think that many of those who were new uh, believers in Jesus left the faith because of this. They said, if that's what this is about, I'm out. Not a stretch of the imagination at all that that happened, okay? So today, I want you to understand why this was so shocking and difficult for them and then see what God might be saying to us through it. See, we all have this idea, well, that of course the Gentiles get in, right? Christianity is inclusive, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, but that's because, y'all, we are looking at this through a couple millennia of the historical lens of established Christendom and Christian missions to all nations, that we're looking through at this through this lens. And so this is like, why is this shocking? Of course, of course we get in. <laughs> it's us, right? <laughs> why wouldn't God want us in, you know? <laughs> they had none of this. They had none of this context, okay? So it's helpful to understand some of the dynamics that are at play. First, I want you to see from the text itself that I'm not making this craziness up, okay? So we're gonna look at the text and then I wanna point out things that are not in the text that are also compounding this difficulty that the Jews had when it came to receiving people of a different nation. So if you look closely, of course, there's the word used for amaze that we already said. It means to go, go crazy. They lost their mind, right? All right, so that's one. That, but if you look closely, that's just the icing on the cake if you look at the text. Number one, the fact that God had to use visions and angels to get this thing started, right? It's clear that it was God himself who wanted everyone involved to know that he was guiding this ship, okay? And in the vision given to Peter, um, it's to convince him of what? That God longs to save all men, not just Jews. And it's interesting to note that the main point of the Spirit talking to Peter is to make no distinctions amongst men. Now, you know we're going to come back to that, all right? Religious distinctions that had dominated his heritage for centuries, y'all, and that it was precisely these distinctions that he was making that were what? Standing in God's way. <laughs> God had to use a vision 
to tell the leader of the Jewish church, dude that walked with Jesus, right? Peter walked with Jesus, that God, in fact, intends to save people of other ethnicities, (laughs) of other nations, had to use a vision to get it across to this dude. And at its root, what we are seeing is very simple and clear racism, y'all. Racism that the gospel is obliterating by the power of the Spirit at the very beginnings of the church, all right? For the Jews, it wasn't just cultural differences or skin color, y'all. It was religious law. So I'm not talking about, oh, they think differently than me or they look different. No, it was law. It was ingrained in their ceremonial religious expression that outsiders don't get in on this, right? Which is one of, which is one of the other evidences of the barriers that we clearly see in the text. Peter says it himself in 28. When he goes to Cornelius' house, he shoots straight with them. He says, you know how unlawful, unlawful. He didn't say cultural taboo. He said, it is unlawful for me to be here with you guys or to visit, but God has shown me what it goes on, right? So there's so much more in the text that we can point to. Like for example, how Peter hits um, harsh opposition, right? They doubted him. The word there is opposed him. The way Peter retells the story, read 11. He retells the story saying, God did this, right? And then he says, those dudes were with me, points them out. Six guys right there, right? They were all there. All these things are pointing to the disbelief and the shock of the Jewish believers. But for time's sake, we're gonna move on and get to the cultural reasons that are not in this text as to why this was so shocking for them. So, how's everyone doing? We good? We tracking? Everyone all right? You with me? All right, Micah, I got Micah. Okay, Kuzma, I got Jack. All right, so one of the things in the New Testament um, that the writers insist on is this. Christianity is not a new religion. One of the things that the New Testament writers insist on is that they are not starting a new religion. The New Testament writers, in their minds, this was the fulfillment of Judaism. They were Jews. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And how can you tell this? Well, look at the sermons that they preach. Every sermon in Acts, they are quoting the what? The Torah the holy book of the Jews. And they're saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. He's the Messiah for the Jews. This was not, they were not planning to start a new religion. This was a Jewish renewal movement where God was saving them now through this man, Jesus, just like he saved them through Moses and just like he saved them through Joseph and just like he established their kingdom through David. This was something God was doing in the Jews for the Jews, for them, right? It was a Jewish renewal movement. This is the only sermon, one of the only sermons in Acts that the Old Testament is not quoted. Because why? Because Peter's speaking to a Gentile. He doesn't know that stuff, right? So the point is today, there is a great division between Jews and Christians for obvious reasons, right? Because primarily who we think Jesus is. But then the apostles and all who believed up to that point were functioning under the idea that Jesus was and is the messianic fulfillment for the Jews. They weren't starting a new religion, right? In fact, it's not until Antioch that they start being ridiculed and called Christians because they say, you guys look like little Jesuses. We're gonna make fun of you and call you Christians. They didn't call themselves that. They were labeled that by outsiders, Gentile outsiders, right? They never could have imagined the scale of what was happening right before them. For for them, like I said, God was just saving his people again, just like at Passover. 
When the blood of the lamb protected who? The Hebrews. Huh? Just like when he saved the, uh, the Jews from the Egyptians through Moses, just like he saved the Jews from famine through Joseph, just like he established the kingdom through David. It's arguable from what we just read that they thought Jesus was God's new way of saving them. Okay, but the point is in their minds, this was still a Jewish renewal movement. This wasn't a new religion. So it's hard for us to get into the first century mindset of that Jewish headspace. Some of the things we're gonna talk about today are hard to relate to, but some of them are surprisingly relatable, okay? For, for one of the first things, it, like I've said right here, was the very close-knit relationship um, in the Old Testament between national and religious identity, okay? That was one for them. It is not one for us. I know <laughs> the founding fathers had some Christian ideas. I know that there are some Christian roots there, but guys, we are not a Christian nation. We're not, right? We've, we've kind of, that's clear through how our nation has acted and done things, right? Like we're not. There's a different, you can be in a, okay, here's a better way to say it. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on toes, I can tell. Here's a better way to say it. Can you be an American and not be a Christian? It's a very simple answer, isn't it? Yes, I'm gonna go with yes, right? Yes, yes, you can. Okay, but for them, being a Jew, <laughs> you can't be a Jew and not be a Jew. It was together. It was the same. Their national heritage and their religious identity was one. It was not inseparable. That's hard for us to relate to, right? And it's getting increasingly harder for us to imagine in our day and age. The other more alien themes for us that we have to deal with here is those of circumcision and kosher laws. And this is purity laws, what we're called. This, these were the laws that restricted Jews from doing any sort of uh, going into anyone's house or anything like that, right? If you were a Gentile, so first let's do the fun one, circumcision. If you were a Gentile and wanted to worship the Jewish God, there were some serious things that had to happen, okay? Especially if you were a dude. If you wanted in, you had to be circumcised, okay? And that alone is gonna keep most people out, right? Like, you know, even if you saw, like even if you like saw Jewish people and you're like, man, I'm really inspired by them, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, they live a certain way. I think, yeah, I'm gonna get in. And the Jews were like, hey, yeah, come on in, man. Come on, you can be a part. But oh, real quick though, uh, no big deal do have to be circumcised. It's going to hurt real bad, but you'll be fine in a couple of weeks. Grab a knife, man, this dude's in, right? If any religion required that today <laughs> on conversion, it'd be pretty safe to say that that religion has a short shelf life. So while Cornelius fears the God of the Jews, he is not a Jew. He's not circumcised. He doesn't abide by their laws, right? He's an uncircumcised Gentile. The other thing that's hard for us to relate to is the long history of purity laws, uh, primarily kosher law. See, for the Jews, their faith touched every aspect of their life, even their diet, right? Long list of foods that were off limits for them. They would not eat them, nor would they go in a house where those foods were, had been eaten. In fact, in John 18, when the Pharisees brought Jesus to Pilate, they would not go in his house, if you remember, because it would make them ceremonially unclean. And so they make Pilate come out to them, right? Not eating these things, dressing in certain ways, not doing certain things, the whole Levitical law in a way was not just personal holiness, but the way in which they maintained their cultural identity and distinguished them from, other, from others. And now 
This well-established religious heritage was seemingly being threatened by what Peter was saying and claiming that God was doing. Are we tracking? Are we understanding now? This is not just some cultural taboo. This is religious heresy, guys. It's, it's a matter of orthodoxy. And they're saying that's not what God does. They criticized, they opposed him when, they, when he came back, right? And Peter, I mean, it's like they're just saying, Peter, bro, you can't just let anybody in. What are you thinking, man? Be reasonable, right? These, these are, you, know what, you know what they called Gentiles? Dogs. Dehumanizing language. Very normal for them to refer to Gentile as pagan dog Gentiles, right? Remember when Jesus sounded so harsh in Mark 7 with the Gentile woman? Do you remember this? Anyone tracking, right? When the, the woman comes and says, would you heal my daughter? She's a Gentile. She's a Syrophoenician or something like that, right? And he says, Jesus says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Jesus is playing on a culturally accepted derogatory term that they had in their day and age, dogs. He actually, he actually heals the woman's daughter. But the point is here, if you let the wild dogs in, they're going to bring fleas. Huh? They're going to pee all over the rug, right? I want you to understand what I'm doing. It's easy for us to feel superior and enlightened compared to these Jewish Christians who criticize and oppose Peter for going into the Gentiles' house and even eating with them, what they say. But I'm trying to help you see something. They were just trying to keep the rules, y'all. This is a matter of orthodoxy. This was heretical, right? And I think we have to see them with a little sympathy because I'd argue that many of us might be closer to their position than we'd like to think. You see, not only was this a heresy, not only was this an issue of orthodoxy, but it broke down the categories of how they thought about people groups. And it was also a cultural taboo, but that taboo was backed by religious rules. So, but let's be honest. Of all the things that this move assaults, the primary thing this assaulted was not just their orthodoxy. It was not just their cultural identity. It was their sense of self-righteousness i.e., we've earned our place before God by doing this, that, and this. We followed the rules, we've been circumcised, we eat the right things, and we don't eat the wrong things, and that makes us God's people and you not. And God is fundamentally changing the source of Christian righteousness. What we'll find out in the New Testament is that that righteousness could never be established by the law. That was not established at this point. Those letters hadn't been written. That theology hadn't been teased out yet. But what we're gonna find, Paul, right, would later give a robust explanation in the book of Romans. But for now, I wanna quote to you um, from Tim Keller, a portion from a sermon that I recently heard. Paul says, every human being goes about trying to patch up a righteousness of their own. That means all of us have to feel superior to someone somehow, or we can't live with ourselves. And the more people we feel better than, 
the better we feel about ourselves. That's called self-righteousness. And what we are seeing here in our text is a self-righteousness based on rules and racism. And Keller says this, racism is a very typical way to feel better than anyone else. Racism works for lots of people to achieve a sense of superiority, and a lot of people do it. But that's not the only way to feel self-righteous. For example, if you are absolutely appalled by the horror of racism and bigotry, you can turn your enlightenment into self-righteousness. You can look down your nose at all the bigots and scorn them and thus do the very thing that you scorn them for doing. You look down your nose at the unenlightened and the narrow-minded and the bigoted people. You can be self-righteous through your religion by being religious, orthodox, and moral and look down your nose at all the heretical and immoral. And that makes us feel better than other people. And it is self-righteousness. Or how about this? What if you have a messed up, hurting life? You can look down your nose at all those insensitive people who don't know how hurting you are. And if you've suffered a lot, you can look down your nose at all the people who haven't. You're so much more deeper and special than those who live these successful, charmed lives. And if you're educated, you can look down your nose at popular culture and the masses. Look at sort of the books they read. Or if you're one of the masses, you can look down your nose at the effete snobs. You can and do take any particular thing and make it a way to feel superior to other people. You have to feel better than other people somehow. End quote. And that's what the Jews were doing with their religion. And it's what many of us do with a wide variety of things now, whether it's politics, race, class, possessions, cars we drive, musics we listen to, people we hang out with, even Christianity can be hijacked as a means to establish our own position of self-righteousness and superiority from which we look down on other people. This is why it was so hard for them to fathom what God was doing. It did not fit within what was fair in their thinking. These dog Gentiles had not earned a position before the Lord. They were unrighteous, filthy things that they spoke of in filthy derogatory terms. They said they were dogs, barely human. Look at me. Beware of drifting into dehumanizing thinking about people groups you disagree with. We chatting today? Anyone else uncomfortable here? <laughs> this week, as you do what you do, as you listen to people talk and, and listen to the news, I want you to pay attention to something. Pay attention to the way in which people talk about other groups in dehumanizing ways. By condescending and patronizing tones, by remarks that reveal a speaker's sense of clear superiority over another group. You're not gonna have to listen to it. I mean, it's, I hope it plagues you. I hope this week, as you listen to the news and talk with other people, friends that you love and family, that the Holy Spirit will point out blatant blind spots in our cultural thinking. That we, in all of our progressive enlightenment, still 
participate in dehumanizing behavior and thinking towards people groups who think differently than us. We need to sit up straight for this one, don't we? This is hitting us right between the eyes at a cultural moment when we need to hear something like this from the word of God. Quit dehumanizing people that disagree with you politically. What are we if we're just like them? If we can't have political ideas and beliefs and dialogue with people in loving ways, what have we become? How do we as Christians show the world the righteousness and love of Christ when we are just as angry and hostile towards people who think differently than us? This week, I want you to listen for the way people talk about different people groups and how they talk about them like they're clear idiots and how dare they have the right to think that way by placing whole swaths of people in some predefined category. You know what I mean? Distinction. What was the word to Peter? Quit making distinctions. Quit putting people in groups that have less value than you. That's exactly what God was doing in the church then, and I'd argue that it's exactly what he wants to do in many of our hearts and minds today. Quit putting people in categories which then you rationalize, excluding them from your good graces. Peter says that the Spirit says to him, make no distinctions. In other words, stop allowing your categories to justify self-righteous exclusion of others. Peter's words were this, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. This is not, this is not you need a bath because you're smelly unclean, okay? This is you are less valuable than me as a human unclean because A, B, or C. And look at me, guys. We all have this list. We all have this list. We all have an idea of the kind of person who is less valuable than us because A, B, C. It's just human. It's what Tim Keller was talking about, right? For them, the categories were based on religious law that excluded and held other people groups in contempt. For us, pick something, <laughs> right? If you're not paying attention to the text so far, or to the book of Acts so far, if you're not uncomfortable right now, <laughs> right, you're not probably paying attention. The main point of what I would argue, what these two chapters are, and the main point of the book of Acts as a whole, which is God loves and forgives and values all people no matter race, no matter politics, no matter class or culture, that he pursues all people and does that on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, not because they are awesome. God says, what God, I mean, the voice says, what God has made clean, do not, call, do not call common. How had God made the Gentiles clean? Well, it's the same way he made the Jews clean. And it's the same way he makes us clean, by the blood of Christ. Later, Paul would write, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Same word. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? This is all very related, guys. It is excluded. By what kind of law? Law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Okay, so this is why I struggle to entertain people who claim that the Bible is narrow-minded and exclusive. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, we are the ones who are narrow-minded and exclusive, allowing, in our minds, God only to love a certain people group that we think's right. We are the ones who are narrow-minded. What we see in Scripture is, for many, an annoying liberality of love and forgiveness to all men, all nations, all cultures, all races, all politics, right? God offers forgiveness and transformation by the power of the Spirit to all peoples. And it is a truth so bright, so full of life that we avert our eyes from it and immediately try to figure out how it doesn't apply to this group or that group or this group. Yeah, but surely not them, right? For them, it was, yeah, but surely not the Gentiles, right? For us, it's whatever, right? Listen, God offers forgiveness and transforming power of spirit to all peoples if they will have it. And I think the question for you today is, will you receive that forgiveness and power? Not based on anything you've ever done, because if you have received that forgiveness, it changes the way you look at people, changes the way you value people, changes the way you talk to people. So here's something, right? You can hate on Christianity all you want, all right? You can call it narrow, you can call it bigoted, you can accuse it of having these, you know, retrogressive thoughts on sexuality and gender roles, okay? But then you gotta figure this out. Today, Christianity is the most ethnically and racially diverse religion on the face of the earth. This is undisputed, right? In most countries, Christianity is 30 to 90% more ethnically and racially diverse than any other religion. Every other religion left in the dust, all right? And one, one reason, these two chapters, Christianity is not bound to one culture, one nation, one race, one people group, one ethnicity, right? You see how the insane impact of these two chapters had in the formation of the early church was huge. No longer would religion, would would God be restrained to this one nation or one group of people that thought this broke down the wall of hostility between racial and ethnic boundaries, y'all. 
It's what Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled Christians have been doing for hundreds of years, contrary to however Christianity was portrayed in your college classes. So if you say, well, fine, maybe Christianity is inclusive, but Christians are exclusive, or holier than thou, right? Ethnocentric and arrogant. Okay, well, that's I probably, you're probably right. They're probably using it as, as a means to establish their own self-righteousness, but they didn't get that from the Bible. <laughs> and if you still don't believe me, let me just read this one. Therefore, remember that you at one time were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. So he's talking to the Gentiles. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both? Who is us both? Gentiles and Jew. He's dealing with the same thing, telling you rest of the New Testament dealing with this issue has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man, a new, human, a new humanity in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Guys, so much of the New Testament is wrestling with this issue, all right? Pick up the Bible and look at it. If you look at the epistles, what you're probably gonna find in some place is them dealing with this issue. The conflict that comes when people of different heritage, different ethnicities, different races begin to mix and do life together. What we're seeing is God creating a new humanity. And it is a new humanity whose righteousness is not found, whose sense of worth is not found in the ethnic and racial places where we tend to find them today. So let's just say this in closing, all right? Overcoming racial and ethnic and cultural differences is no small thing, guys. It's not easy. It's, okay, wait, 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 I mean, you know, we know that, right? Um, and in many cases... The only way to overcome self-exalting thinking is through the cross, is by allowing our self-righteousness to die with Jesus on the cross and cling to a righteousness that's not our own. In fact, I would argue that's really the only way that you then become free to love and pursue and invite other people, not because you think they're awesome, but because God in Christ has made them clean. Guys, the missional efforts of the church aren't because people are awesome. It's not because Christians saw other people and thought, oh, they're so talented and beautiful. We should get them on our team. That's not what inspired the, that's not what motivated the missions of the church throughout history. It's that Christ and God, God and Christ had made them clean. And they said, they gotta know. They've gotta know what he's done. That's what motivated Christian missions throughout the earth, throughout the ages. Mm, it's good. So, what are the reasons you are looking down on and excluding others from your good graces? Because I can guarantee God is not hung up on the same thing. Praise his name. Praise his name. God, thank you that you're saving us from our own arrogant self-righteousness, right? He has flung the gates of the kingdom open to all who would receive it, y'all. See, for the Jews, they were convinced they had the corner on God. For the Jews, they were the gate. And many Christians today 
think they're the gate. Look at me. I don't care how many theology classes you've had, how many churches you pastored. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care care what authority you think you can claim as a Christian. You are not the gate to Christianity. Praise his name. You know why it's good news? Because then we would exclude and make ourselves superior to others and say, you know, you get in, you don't get in. No, no, you, what do you think? Mm, no, no, you don't get in. God is so much, we are so small-minded, I think, in our, and what we, who will allow God to love, aren't we? Peter says, who was I that I would stand in God's way? So this is my last question for us, right? Where are your prejudices standing in the way of you being a vessel to make God's love known to every tribe, every nation, and every person? Can I just say that one more time? What prejudices are standing in the way of you being a vessel, a means, by which God loves every person, every tribe, every political party, every ethnic person, right? Every ethnic boundary, whatever. God help us when we tell God who he can and can't love. We tend to tell God, they have bad theology, you can't love them. They have antiquated views on this. You can't love them. They hurt me. You can't love them. And what we're really saying is, you can't love them, therefore, I don't have to love them. Isn't it? Have mercy. Let's stand and pray. Before me pray, I want to point out one thing that I think is so remarkably interesting about this whole uh, occurrence, topic, event in scripture. Um, And actually one of the most interesting things about what happens here with Peter in Acts 10 and 11 is not in Acts 10 and 11, it's actually in Galatians. Um, If you remember, uh, one of the key reasons Paul is writing to the letter of Galatians is because um, they're teaching that Gentiles had to be circumcised. Okay, so this is what provoked the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, Galatians 2 specifically, um, Paul rebukes Peter for something. Do you remember what he rebukes Peter for? Peter, later on in the story, this is not about this event, this is later on in the story. Years later, Peter began withdrawing from the Gentiles because he was embarrassed by them, basically. When other Jewish circumcised Christians came, it says from James, they came from James, Peter withdraws from eating with the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out on it in the book of Galatians. He says, why are you trying to force Gentiles to live like Jews through social pressure, right? So God, showing himself to Peter, through Peter, gave him this vision, like, don't call anything dirty, I've cleaned everything, and yet, years later, he is still struggling to walk out the liberal application of the love of God. This man who walked with Jesus still struggled to be a vessel through which the love of God flew to all. 
He just couldn't get himself out of these categories. So can I just say this to you? You're in good company. Peter himself had to be rebuked years later over the exact same issue. Let's pray. God, thank you. You have put us in community.